This is an interview I conducted with Ben Justice back in June of 2020. I was still trying to figure out what this whole podcast project would be, so I've edited our conversation for clarity. In addition to being a composer, Ben is also a fellow percussionist, and we briefly crossed paths at KU. In this interview, you'll hear us talk about his piece Voyager, which was written for and premiered by the KU Percussion Group. Ben is someone who definitely writes with nature in mind and has participated in several artists and residencies in conjunction with different national parks. In the interview, he mentions that he has an application out for a residency with uh, Glacier National Park, and he has since been awarded that residency and was there from the end of July to the beginning of August. Additionally, we chat about living in Colorado as well as some of his other pieces inspired by nature. I've attached links in the description for you to do some further exploring, but without further ado, here's my interview with Ben Justice. I guess let's I guess the best place to start would be Colorado. You sure. have you've now gone back to Colorado uh, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. You you did your undergrad uh in Colorado, Colorado State, came out to Kansas and now uh-huh. you're working in in Colorado again. Yeah. So uh-huh. are you born in were you born in Colorado? No, I was not born in Colorado. I was born basically outside of St. Louis, Missouri. And so between St. Louis and then University of Kansas, which is in Lawrence, Kansas, and then kind of growing up mostly kind of the Denver area is kind of like all along the I-70 stretch is where I've spent most of my life mm-hmm. for the most part. But you know, I've lived most of my life in Colorado, so I kind of, I, I tell people I'm, I'm from here. But um, yeah, I, I don't have one of those uh, Colorado native bumper stickers, which really I don't think most people should have because, you know, their their ancestors probably weren't really from Colorado and you really think about it, you really go way back. But, um, but yeah, I was, I was not born there. Long story long. <laughs> um, but you just finished your first year teaching at, um, sorry, you'll have to remind me the name of the, is it Western Colorado oh, University? Good. Yeah, it's Western Colorado. Yeah, they've undergone a few name changes. So yeah, there's still a lot of like Western State College. And yeah, it's, it's gone through a few different name changes. But yeah, Western Colorado University in Gunnison, Colorado, which is kind of um, not, it's kind of like South Central-ish in the state. Okay. Um, is that near... I'm not even gonna try and guess because my oh, it's all good. my geography <laughs> is not is not super on point for yeah. for Colorado. Uh, no, it's it's all good. We're about like two hours from just about anything. So yeah, if you wanted to drive to Denver, you'd basically drive like northeast for like four hours. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we're we're kind of we're kind of isolated, which has got really good things and some things that are make um, musical life a little tricky, for sure. I'll bet. And you were teaching both percussion lessons and ensemble and the theory courses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was doing yeah, percussion lessons, <clears throat> percussion ensembles, steel band, and um, also, yeah, theory courses. And then I got to teach like a songwriting course and a scoring course. And so, yeah, I'm kind of doing music tech next semester. So I'm kind of all over the map. So it's, it's been a wild ride, especially with this year and everything that kind of shook down post pandemic. So, yeah. That's another thing I, should address regarding um, 
the construction or the inception of this podcast, I didn't want it to be uh, an excuse for me to, I didn't want the, you know, the, the COVID circumstances to be an excuse for me to just come up with a podcast or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, although what COVID I think has done for everybody, not just those involved in the arts, it's really forced us to confront our relationship to our place and our space. Um, I've come to learn that there's a lot of different philosophies that distinguish these simple words like place and space. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it really just boils down to the sense of like uh, belonging or, or ownership. Um, and so I guess would, how has the, how has it been to have your semester uprooted by by the pandemic and how has that affected your i guess uh your teaching yeah well uprooted is such a good word for it um in a lot of ways well in most ways it really really stung to have to cancel um recitals for a lot of students it was going to be like their culminating senior recital um and to call off all of our concerts and some of our other like fundraising opportunities that aligned with those types of events. So it, yeah, it, uh, it was, and obviously you couldn't rehearse with your groups because there's still not a super practical way to do that remotely. Um, music making and acoustic ensembles really needs to happen together all in the same space just because it's so precise. You need to be able to interact with one another so quickly. Um, so it's yeah, it really was was super tricky, but it I have been using this time to do a lot of composing. I've done a lot of listening to just try and kind of you know make sure that my my ears stay open and I kind of keep that keep some of that spark going, and also just practicing quite a bit um, on my own. So I've been trying to find more ways to do really solitary, um, effective music making and continue to try and work on my skills. Uh, it's definitely been tricky though, and. Um, most of all for the students, especially if they, you know, if my percussion students, you know, they don't have a marimba at home, they don't have a set of timpani, they might not have a drum set, they might not have all this gear that some of their other instrumentalist and vocalist friends, you know, will probably have access to even if it's just on their own. So um, it's been tricky, you know, the music theory thing, it's possible to do it online. It's certainly not preferable by any means. Um, aural skills gets really tricky. Um, that's a that's a difficult one to do online for sure. So I'm really really hoping it's business as usual, safely, <laughs> smartly, uh, come the come the fall semester. But um, does that kind of answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> so, as a composer, what was your? You said you were doing a lot more composing now, um, mm-hmm. given the circumstances. But what was your process like? I guess, sort of before, and how has it adapted since? Mm, um, you know, I'm not sure the process is a whole lot more different now. Um, I will say that I'm writing more for uh, for percussion now, just because I can test things out on my own and go hop on, you know, a vibraphone or something like that and try out a particular musical idea since there aren't a bunch of other musicians around that I can, you know, drag a trombonist into a practice room and say, hey, can you try this out and, and tell me if this works? Does it stink? Does it sound good? What do you think? Um, 
And so, yeah, I'm writing more for um, for things that I might be playing or for other percussionists, but um, in terms of process, I don't think it's changed all that much. Composing is still, I mean, a lot of the real nuts and bolts of it are still kind of solitary. And so um, it didn't impact kind of my workflow too much, which I guess I should be thankful for. <laughs> um, yeah. That's good. Do you, do you live in a place where you can make a lot of noise and not have to uh, worry about neighbors or anything? Uh, not really, uh, but I can go to the, the music building and, and practice there and set up in a room. Um, I'm trying to not go into that space more than I need to, just to you know not try and spread germs around. Um, but I am able to go there and, and jam out and spend a bunch of time practicing or working on things. I'm really excited. Um, working on an outdoor concert right now that I'm going to be doing later this month which a few, with a few other uh, Western faculty members. And so we're really looking forward to being able to do some live music, but limit the audience and make sure people spread out and, um, and perform in this little outdoor amphitheater space. It's been really fun to prepare for that and think about how to deliver some high quality music making under some little bit different circumstances in an outdoor venue and have people still have a good time and, and not make the, uh, the, uh, the county health officials grumpy with us too. It's, it's so funny to think about the creative ways we are adapting or the, the creative ways that we are trying to find ways to still do what we love and normally normally do in our day-to-day -day lives but with all of these added um, precautions and considerations mm -hmm. and the fact that you mentioned you know everybody's going to be placed in a different space is one of the it's the probably the main reason why i wanted to to talk to you is because mm -hmm. we you know just a couple months ago we we performed voyager Mm -hmm. a whole piece where the very essence of it is this sort of different relationships, not just to the performers, but also to the performers in, in a particular space. In this case, mm -hmm. it was, mm -hmm. you know, the Spencer art museum, but I guess for the ones of listeners <laughs> who will hear this, um, <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about Voyager, the sort of conception uh, of the piece? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, one of my, my big goals was to have audience members kind of scratching their chins a little bit and saying, oh, okay, it's, it's this big long piece about space and their performers all spaced out and that like the actual, um, the positioning and locations of the performers is gonna impact the, the overall uh, effect of the production there. But yeah, um, there's a piece that I've been thinking about for a long time and um, during uh, my studies at KU, I had a long stretch of time where during your dissertation, you basically kind of dedicate yourself to a single musical product. It's typically going to be something kind of uh, pretty ambitious, larger project. And I wanted to do something uh, and write a piece about that mission for a long time. I really like writing about space because I think it um, makes people feel small in a really, really good way. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it's really great to be back in Colorado and do residencies in like national parks and stuff like that is because of how small it makes you feel again. I wonder if, if part of that is because it sort of makes you feel like a kid again or something like that. But I think there's a, I think that can, 
remind us of a sort of connection and a sort of this shared space that we're all in to feel kind of small like that again. But basically by using, you know, NASA's Voyager missions as little markers for the piece, you know, that launched from Earth, visited Jupiter, visited Saturn, um, Uranus, Neptune, and far beyond, that uh, basically served as movements for the piece. And then you'd have these main sections, um, where we're using NASA imagery of the planets. It was actually uh, projected onto the walls. And then in those spaces in between, these long stretches of time where the spacecraft is in between these planetary encounters, the performer spread out. There's a little counter on the screen that's showing you the distance, the mission time and days, and just counting up at this fantastic speed, which is again meant to illustrate kind of how big you know, the, the cosmos really is and thinking about how long these spacecraft have been traveling and how far they've gone. Um, and so I was really using that mission to try and attempt to organize a longer piece of music. And there are pretty few uh, works for percussion ensemble that are of that scope, that are like these evening length productions. Um, there's also, uh, big priority for this piece to try and produce it in a space where the audience could move around and could really explore it and could engage their eyes and their ears and not really feel tethered in one spot, but really just kind of come as they are, experience the piece and explore it a little bit more like they would um, walk around an art museum, but now it's just decorated with sounds and performers and these big fabulous percussion instruments and. Uh, um, and so, yeah, I'm really, really thankful that the Spencer uh, agreed to take on that crazy project. And I'm so thankful to the percussion group um, that they took on such a humongous, not easy piece. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it really, really came together very well. And I was really lucky to have such great collaborators to work with. I had such a, a thrill working on, on that piece and all of its various um components and and being able to hear uh the whole process of it all coming together and we would do we would do test runs in in 130 um which was wild <laughs> and we, i i guess i should mention that the spencer museum is the art museum that's attached to ku's campus mm -hmm. uh but it's a it's a sort of come and go as you please for the public they have a lot of different rotating uh galleries throughout the year and for this project, we also worked with, um, do they call themselves two by one or two times one media? Uh, oh, I think it's, I think it's two by one media. Yeah. 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 Um, I didn't think, I didn't think of that until just now, but we worked with this, uh, uh -huh. we worked with, uh, Taylor and his buddy, whose name escapes me at the moment. I'm sorry. I think um, it's, I think it's Ricky is his partner. Ricky? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, they're from Texas. Yeah, they came up and did documentation because they knew with such a, a piece where the performers are so spread out and it's so long and the audience is going to be in there and moving around that just getting a straight through recording probably wasn't the way to do. So I asked them, like, hey, could we kind of do something sort of from the perspective of uh, one of the one of the you know audience members and so they walked around and got onto different levels of this art museum which I, I should also mention that the spencer is just you know by any standard a really incredible museum and it's just one of the finest like university art museums on the planet it's a really exquisite space so go check it out if you're going through lawrence kansas anytime soon but um but yeah i was really uh 
really lucky that they were able to make the trip up and um, spend two days during the dress rehearsal and then the performance to get um, some really cool documentation and made like a 10 minute sort of um, uh, montage is maybe the best word for it, but just to kind of give you a quick tour of the piece. And I will link that video in whatever final stage this uh, sure. this thing becomes. But um, yeah, sounds good. I really, I wanted to go back. You said something early on about uh, space being space making you feel small, but in a good way. It reminds me, mm. you know, when I was doing all of my research for um, particularly John Luther Adams, that segment of the, of the thesis, the word, the big buzzword that is often associated with, with Adams's music is the word scale. Yeah. And because he's also, he said something very similarly where, you know, he loves hiking through the tundra, knowing that, you know, he's in the presence of, uh, mother nature and mother nature at any point in time could like wipe him out. Mm -hmm. uh, and the word he used was reassurance. He said, he, you know, that sort of that awareness gives him a certain calm reassurance. Yeah. Um, and now I just lost my train of thought. This it is it going. sounds like that's, it sounds like it's from his uh, meet the composer yes uh, podcast it is oh it's it a, is yeah that's such a good podcast and yeah that episode is great and, and definitely yeah john luther adams certainly influential even though my music doesn't really sound like his um for, for a lot of reasons um but um but yeah in terms of like his his process and um his philosophy i think i i really dig that and i definitely take some inspiration from that um yeah Definitely, definitely have some, a little bit of composer jealousy for sure. Um, uh, are you familiar with Matthew Bertner's work? No, not yet. I'll, I'll send you some, some stuff to check out. Um, mm -hmm. cause he's got, he's got some of his stuff on, on, um, on Spotify and, and YouTube and, and, uh, everything's on his website. Uh, his stuff is really great. He, the majority of his music, especially now is, taking like recordings of glaciers and sonifying that and weaving that with, with other um, acoustic medium. When he was in, when he was in Stanford getting his DMA, he invented like the meta sax where he basically like, you know, rigs a rigs a, a saxophone with different um, controllers and triggers. And so he's building compositions based off of, you know, the blending of, the electronic enhancement and the acoustic nature of the saxophone. And it's that kind of marriage of, of acoustic and synthetic sounds that really uh, defines his, his work, certainly more so than, than Adams's. But at the core of Berner's music, it's also the relationships between humans and nature, um, the sort of, action reaction uh and its you know consequences and so very often the the electronics are used to either amplify or bring light to sounds that we often neglect or or overlook um so i'll send you some of the stuff to oh, check out because it's really good it's really good oh, yeah um
I'm gonna be doing a lot of a lot of editing. Oh, that's all good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you also mentioned, in addition to space, being around you know national parks as also creating this sort of um, small but in a good way feeling. And I'm and I wanted to ask because I know we talked about it once before, but I don't remember what it's like to be a composer in residence for Denali Park. Can you, mm-hmm. can you tell me a little bit more about that experience? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the, the National Parks residencies have just been a real joy and I'd highly encourage performers and visual artists and poets and writers and dancers and videographers and sculptors, kind of whatever it is to really consider um, trying to do one of these residencies uh, because hey, you're just in really beautiful places and you get to meet really fantastic folks, but they're just inspiring places to create within these beautiful preserved public lands um, that the country has set aside. Um, and so the one in Denali uh, was wonderful. It was really, really incredible. Um, let's see, the artist cabin uh, was, I think, built in like the 30s. It's like in uh, it's a log cabin with like the original oakum like chinking between all of the logs and uh, no electricity, no running water. You're about 60 miles into the park and you basically get, um, you have to bring a vehicle. You have to like rent a car after you get into Fairbanks and you drive to the park. And then it's about another two hours on the park road until you reach the cabin, um, which is just this really, really long dirt road with all these tour buses. So you have to learn about, you know, when you drive on the roads, about the signaling and yielding hierarchy in case there's a herd of caribou in the road and a tour bus or a bulldozer needs to get by. It's, it's, uh, there's actually a lot of, um, there's a fair amount of training you have to do for this residency, but it was really, really uh, a joy to just do something really, really different like that. But you're basically just out there two weeks. It's, um, it's pretty much unrestricted time when you do these residencies and two weeks is about as short as they are. Uh, they'll go up to like a month or sometimes even longer. Um, that all really depends. Um, but you're there and uh, after between six months and a year, you basically you donate a piece to the park that is inspired or connected um, to your time there. So for instance, when I was in Denali, I was just doing lots of hiking and talking to rangers and going to see interpretive programs. And I brought um, a little high definition portable recorder to try and capture, you know, these little sound prints of the park itself. And, you know, even if I don't end up using um, some, or even if I don't end up using any of those sound prints, at least I have this, uh, this kind of aural, this little sonic souvenir to, I can listen back to and say, okay, and it can put me in the same, it can put my ears back in time a little bit to when I was actually in residence up there. But as part of all of your residencies, you give at least one public program as well. Um, and so this is can be uh, something like an artist talk. Um, you can share some of your own art making. You can share uh, projects that other people have done around kind of a central idea. Um, you can do performances while you're in the parks as well. There's a lot of different avenues to take. Um, for visual artists, a lot of them will go and create and like paint kind of on plein air um, and have people watch their uh, creative process. And so there's lots of different ways to do it, but um, there are residencies, residencies all over the country. Um, in a lot of these parks, there's several up in Alaska, there's several in California, there's a few in Colorado. 
Um, there's uh, at least one in Nebraska. Um, there are a few out on the East Coast and in Florida as well. So, yeah, they're all over the place. And um, it's just a really great uh, time to recharge and explore and be someplace different and meet people from all over the place because a lot of times these parks draw visitors from all over the world. So that's really fascinating as well. And, uh, yeah, it's just a really, really incredible, incredible uh, experience. Do they when you donate the piece, do they archive them all? They do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's actually become, mm -hmm, it's, it's become tricky. Uh, all of those works aren't necessarily, um, say like put online or featured in the gallery somewhere. Sometimes they are stored for long amounts of time. It all kind of depends. Um, a lot of times those works will go up in places like visitor centers. Mm. Um, uh, the tricky thing is some of these parks are running out of climate controlled storage mm. for these, like especially visual art that needs to remain at a particular humidity and temperature. Um, so one of the nice things and one little, uh, I'd, I'd probably call it an advantage that composers have when they write their proposals for these residencies is saying, Hey, my art form, you know, requires virtually no storage and lasts, you know, essentially forever. Uh, and so that's, definitely uh definitely a, a, a tr attractive to uh to these volunteer coordinators who are oftentimes choosing the artists are going to bring in for a residency so as someone who's spent so much time living and working in colorado what is it about colorado that is so idyllic or so oh what uh, isn't idyllic oh my gosh it's yeah it's yeah, it's it's really really uh, beautiful here. Sorry, please finish your please finish your question. I interrupted. I no, no, no. Uh, I was gonna say what what is it about Colorado that makes it the ideal place to foster your compositional voice? Hmm. Uh, well, I think there's all sorts of things that I really like on a personal level about Colorado. Things that just kind of make me feel good, and that. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, so I think that's part of it is that it seems like it's a really good personal fit, but there's lots of really um, big landscapes here. Like the mountains are pretty dang big and the, like the continental divide is, you know, it's pretty high up in general and that's also pretty dang big. And it's got lots of big areas of public lands and it's got um, these long, beautiful stretches of rivers and it's got all sorts of really beautiful things that uh, are really good at making you feel small. I suppose. And there's certainly some residency opportunities out here. Um, there's really good opportunities for recreation to really get away and to submerge yourself into those types of environments that don't exist everywhere. Um, and so I think it's just a place that kind of makes, makes me like uh, my soul feel good, makes me like physically feel good, makes me like emotionally feel good to be here. And, and so I was, I was really overjoyed to be able to return. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's it captures and it's got a really nice sampling of uh, a lot of what I get from these parks residencies that I've done. And right now, I've I've only done I've only done two so far, um, but I've got two more lined up that I'm really really looking forward to. And to just get into different um, places that either have really large landscapes or sometimes it's like just really big social 
ideas like Homestead National Monument of America is, you know, a pretty small park in relative to other ones, but the idea that it represents is really, really big and also kind of complex and 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 fraught with uh, both beautiful layers and impressive layers and also some kind of cruel layers as well that are, are worth exploring and making art about. So um, yeah, it's, it's a really good sample kind of cross-section of a lot of those things that I get from those residencies and I get to live here. So I, yeah, I'm really, really lucked out. I think the other thing I want to talk about is some of your other works. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess from, in, in your own opinion, what are some of the works in your catalog that also best exemplify your relationship to either nature or Colorado or just, you know, your, your, your sense of place uh, in general? Oh gosh. Um, uh, well, I'm, I'm working on two right now that would fit the bill. One of which is pretty much done. The other of which is uh, still have a long way to go, but um, I was really lucky. I got to work with the uh, United States Air Force Band last summer. They recorded and performed a piece of mine that was about um, a visit to the Black Canyon of the Gunnison, which, you know, I live in Gunnison, so it's only about an hour away from here, but it's this incredibly deep and very, very narrow canyon. In fact, it's so narrow that in certain times of year, there are spots in the canyon where sunlight never reaches the ground. It's just so closed in, and there are these beautiful striations of rock in this area of the canyon called the Painted Wall, and it looks, looks like the biggest possible, like, beautiful abstract like natural painting that you could ever like hope to envisage it's really really beautiful and that really struck me as like oh gosh that made me feel so small and it was so beautiful that i was really hoping to uh to make some art that would kind of capture that and take me back to that spot that uh hope hopefully other people like to listen to and so i think that piece is one that um one that i could maybe uh see a connection there since it's about uh, this this particular particularly stunning formation in Black Canyon of the Gunnison, which is also uh, with an international dark sky park. So it's just uh, at night. It's just so almost oppressively beautifully dark out there, and you can just see so many stars in the arms of the Milky Way. And it also really makes you feel minuscule in such a kind of comforting, awe-inspiring way. It definitely brings you out of the everyday to think about how truly little we are, um, which isn't meant to be a pessimistic thing, but I think there's a little bit of soul therapy that goes along with that. And it definitely lowers my blood pressure to think about that for some reason. I don't know why, but. No, 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 I totally, I totally agree. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I was listening to Carving the Painted Wall last night and it's a beautiful piece, by the way. Oh, thanks man. Is that you? Are you playing bass drum in the uh, video? <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm playing bass drum. Yeah, they were. Uh, um, I think the uh, the Air Force Band was just like happened to be a little short-handed then, so I, I played on a few pieces, including by some of the other uh, composers who were there. Who um, we got to hear and record their really amazing works. It was great to to see what other composers were doing, what sorts of musical experiments they were undertaking, um, and uh, and yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a lot during that. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, gosh, that, that ensemble is just so, so good. It's incredible. Yeah. How does global warming affect your compositions? Or I guess maybe a better way of asking that question is, do you try to use your music to emulate aspects of global warming? That's a, that's a great question. And uh, music is so abstract. I think it's much more abstract than say like visual art or um, even poetry or writing. Just because if I um, somehow wrote a piece of music, say for, I don't know, like symphony orchestra and said, oh, this is meant to be a representation or an interpretation of like a melting glacier or something like that. And I didn't give a, a listener that information beforehand. I just like plopped them down and they listen to the piece. And I don't think when the piece was over, they'd say, hey, that, I think that you were trying to get this point across. Like, oh, you're trying to think about global warming or climate change or glaciers melting. I don't think they could ever possibly feasibly guess that without some sort of information beforehand or without text, without lyrics. So I'm becoming more drawn to using text and deploying uh, vocalists or or multimedia to try and make a work more and uh, its intent and its inspiration more explicit um, and also just trying to write savvier program notes or use more sound prints like actual uh, like field recordings of, uh, of environmental features but you know music it's just so it's it's tricky to really make a concrete statement that people are going to understand and interpret the same way without extra information. Um, it's kind of like if you go to an art museum and there's a beautiful piece and it's highly, highly abstract and it makes you want to know what it's about and where it comes from. And then you go and you read the placard and you go, oh, it's about X, Y, Z. It's about, you know, a, a a bad sub sandwich that the artist ate sometime, or who knows what, <laughs> what piece of profound or mundane uh, ex experience that that work might be depicting. But um, it is definitely a target uh, that in terms of uh, what I'm inspired to try and make art about. And even if it just, you know, even if it just kind of lights my fire, or even if it just kind of excites me enough to get the energy to write something, then I think that, yeah, there is inspiration there and there is a, there is intent um, or some sort of, some sort of message to be had there. But um, for instance, I'm actually doing just that. I wrote a proposal to go up to Glacier National Park this summer and go try and explore ways to try and depict disappearing glaciers acoustically because they've had really amazing visual artists and photographers up there but that was my the big point of my pitch is to say okay how can i somehow try and show this in a musical product um and so that's going to be my really big project uh this summer so um i'll probably have more information for you in about a year so let, let's set this up again and then we can chat there after this piece for glacier for glacier is finished and, and maybe the conclusion will be like oh i what i wasn't able to find a way to really depict you know climate change in a meaningful detectable way or, or maybe i'll have figured it out by then who knows i'm sure someone else has figured it out <laughs> Are there any other pieces that you would like to highlight or cherry pick? Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I did. I did uh, embark on a musical experiment 
um, with uh, having uh, most members of a string section like bow styrofoam cups um, as like a, a statement maker, partly because the sound it makes is just so like gloriously disgusting. It's this, oh my gosh, it's imagine like a swarm of giant plastic bees have descended. It's just so nasty, like nails on a chalkboard cranked up to 11. And it was supposed to be just a super ugly moment. Um, and really this piece came from a climate activist and lawyer who self-immolated in New York. He basically lit himself on fire in a park um, as a sort of, which I you know, don't recommend. And it was a really extreme, super, uh, super vivid uh, statement that this person made about the kind of Im impending and likely, even if it happens gradually, uh, impact that climate change is going to have. And, you know, it, it might be reparable, it might be irreparable, but I think it is possible to organize as big groups of people to to try and mitigate a lot of that damage and slowly nudge, nudge our society on a path that will, uh, that leads to, that leads to a better outcome or at least a less nasty outcome when it comes to climate change. And that might have to do with, you know, how you vote. That might have to, have to do with how you vote with how you spend your dollars at the store. I think there's a lot of ways to make little impacts as individuals. And so I was trying to do something that would, go from like very like these very natural big harmonic sounds the piece is called on fragility um really big these natural harmonic sounds kind of like this whole untainted earth idea like brass players uh playing naturally occurring partials and not correcting for them so they sound you know quote unquote out of tune on an equal tempered system but um anyway um and then goes into introducing a lot of ugliness to it and then things get brighter again really kind of inspired by like the healing of the ozone layer like oh hey it is actually possible like the ozone layer has for the most part gotten quite a bit better than it was and that has a lot to do with like banning cfcs and so collectively like society came together and decided oh these aren't a good thing to you know stick in refrigerators and aerosol cans anymore they're really 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 bad for the atmosphere and now sure enough it's healing so okay these sorts of little changes are definitely possible and so the music brightens up again and it gets sweeter gets more triumphant and then it just kind of slowly dissolves and descends into this um this just horrible squealing of these styrofoam cups um, and so it kind of goes through a lot of different emotional places and was a really big musical experiment for sure. Um, yeah, I guess that's one other piece of it.